And welcome once again to another Throttle Up Radio show and podcast. I'm your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I am glad to be here. And we are also video recording this, aren't we? I'm talking to my audio engineer, who is just off camera, and she helps me every week. All right, so we're going to do a video as well as an audio recording of this. And she's also telling me that I have to be pay attention to my microphone. <clears throat> okay, so we uh, we are in the midst of a special edition, special series of uh, Throttle Up Radio shows and podcasts. Uh, I guess I need to say something about the radio show. The radio show is found on uh, Red State Talk Radio. It's a great radio station, by the way. Uh, we have been with Red State for quite some time, uh, quite a few years already. Uh, great radio show. We are a weekend show on Red State Talk Radio. Saturdays and Sundays, both channels. They have two channels. We're on both channels. In uh, evening or late afternoon, depending on your time zone. Also, uh, we have a podcast as well, the podcast can be located almost everywhere now. It can be found on our website, ThrottleUpRadio.com. It can be found on uh, Apple Play. It can be found on CastBox, Podbean, on and on and on. It's all over the place. So you can find the uh, podcast, and I would recommend that if you want to listen to it on the go. Also, you can do it in segments. We talked about that. We, you can listen to part of it, and it remembers where you are. So, good way to also get the information. We are in the midst of a um, special edition. It's a long-running run, series now, right? It is. <laughs> it's a long-running series. It's, it's called Think Like a Fighter Pilot. Okay, and for the, uh, the video folks, you can see my man cave. I'm in my man cave. I got lots of paraphernalia, all military-related. I'm a retired Navy captain, fighter pilot, and Top Gun pioneer. I'm also uh, the author of my new book. I'm going to show it to you. My new book is called... Uh, the Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer. Uh, there it is. You can get it anywhere where books are sold all over the place. Uh, I would recommend going to your favorite bookstore is, is what I would recommend. Just walk down, walk into your favorite bookstore or your community bookstore. Uh, say, hi, Kevin sent me. I want to uh, take a look at his new book as well as other books out there. Our other book that has been um, an ongoing success for a long time is, uh, can you see this? All right, it's kind of big. Critical Thinking Essentials Quick Reference Handbook. There it is. Okay. Uh, you can also get that uh, anywhere. Both of them are distributed by Ingram. And so it's uh, available uh, worldwide. Okay, so we're going to start off this show. This is a continuing um, series, Think Like a Fighter Pilot. We're going to start off the show with a question from my uh, audio engineer, and she's going to read me this question, and then we'll proceed on with the, uh, the discussion after the question. And I'll do my best to uh, try to deal with this in an effective way and also in a way that is, how should I put it, and that is uh, interesting and compelling and it'll hold your interest. Uh, that's my challenge. So here we go. Here is the question. Probabilistic conceptualism. You mentioned this on the last radio show. What is it about, and what do we need to know about it? Probabilistic conceptualism. 
Okay, that's a good question. And, of course, that's, that's kind of a mouthful. Uh, there is a lot of, um, I, I, could say, I could say right up front, there's a lot of Kevinism in this. Uh, I tend to come up with some uh, new ways of uh, phrasing things and new ways to talk and speak and, and carry on and, and stuff like that. I've been doing that for a long period of time. And um, I'm trying to find my notes here. And uh, so we, we touched on this last show uh, very, br- very briefly. So what I want to do is I want to kind of continue in this uh, train of thought. I want to continue in terms of what what exactly are we talking about? And why do we need to do this? Are, aren't we doing okay in terms of our ability to uh, to think and to reason? Isn't our thinking and reasoning capabilities adequate for our time and place on this planet? Uh, and my quick answer to that is uh, no, it's not. Okay, Uh, all you have to do really is just look around and ask yourself that question. Is our ability to think and reason sufficiently developed and is it adequate and is it uh, completely viable in terms of our ability to solve or to deal with uh, the issues that come up uh, during the course of living and working and uh, carrying on in this modern industrial world, is it adequate? And and my answer is no, it's not adequate. We have to do a lot better than what we're doing. Why is that? Well, because Frankly, we are being bombarded with a lot of stuff here that we should be able to determine uh, rather quickly whether or not it's viable information, whether or not it is accurate, whether or not it is true. Now, in previous shows, we talked about, at great length, by the way, we've talked about uh, the truth algorithm we talked about, and there is such a thing, by the way, and, and we have a couple of, we have actually three videos on the uh, uh, truth algorithm. And so why did we do that? Well, because we are all about uh, finding out what is the truth, determining what is the truth, and not allowing others to think for ourselves. We have to be able to think for ourselves. We have to be, first and foremost, uh, autonomous, sovereign thinkers. And that's the first order of business. Okay, so basically, in, in answering the question that was raised by my audio engineer, uh, the question is, what is probabilistic conceptualism and in in is that uh it is is that a good way for us to orient our intellect such that we can actually engage in these thought processes that can be described as probabilistic conceptualism first and foremost let me try to explain the two big words. What is that? Probabilistic means that we are living in an uncertain world. Okay, that's a given. And whether whether or not you like it, the ability to achieve certitude is not going to occur. Certitude is impossible in the environment that we find ourselves in. In the military environment that I come from, certitude was impossible. We could not determine exactly what the enemy was going to do, nor what our response should be. 
we looked at the range of options. We looked at all kinds of things, but certitude was impossible. Not not least of which because the enemy was actively engaged in deception. In our world today, certitude is impossible because there is active deception going on. Deception is being put forward on purpose. Okay, so if certitude is impossible, then are we dead in the water? No, we're not. We're not dead in the water. There's lots of things that we can do. Okay, but we have to remove ourselves from the thinking that certitude is possible and that the information, whatever insight we get, can gain from the situation can come to us through our search through the data. All right, so our brains, we believe, are data-driven systems. The first and foremost thing to remember is that actually is wrong. Okay, I'm going to come right out and say that. Humans are not, do not possess a data-driven performance model. Our brains don't do that. Okay, it may be an interesting technological aspect of our reality, but we are not data-driven. We have other attributes working for us, not least of which is innovation and creativity. We're going to get involved in that very quickly. Okay, humans are not data-driven, should not be data-driven. Set that aside, all right? Is there interest in data? Uh, somewhat, okay, but it is not controlling. There are other things that are more important than data. What I don't want you to be, and this is very, very important, and I'm going to go way out on a limb here, okay? And this is going to be very, very controversial, what I'm going to say. But that's okay. That's what Throttle Up is all about, and that's what critical thinking is all about. And, and, and we have got to embrace the idea that we should be all proficient critical thinkers we are not data driven we will not succumb to being data dummies that should be our mantra we are not data dummies we can engage the world in other ways how there is a form of uh, analysis uh, a form of uh, uh, analytics that uh, that we can employ and that comes from the world of uh, probabilistic analysis if you will there's a couple of other terms that we can use okay probabilistic means that while we cannot determine exactly what is the certitude of the situation, we have a pretty good idea of what is the likelihood of this thing either occurring or not occurring. What is the likelihood? What is the probability? What is the uh, what is the risk of, um, in, in a lot of cases in, in my world was, was heavily involved in, in risk management. We had to be able to effectively manage risk. Okay, we recognized that risk was going to occur. Risk was out there. Nothing was absolutely certain or given. And so we had to deal with a world in which risk prevailed and uncertainty prevailed and complexity prevailed. All right, so how do you deal with that? Well, you look at the likelihoods. You look at the probabilities of things. 
And there is an analytical way for us to determine that. It's not guesswork, all right? Uh, you know, a lot of people think that risk management is largely guesswork. Well, it's actually not, all right? There's a lot that goes into it, a lot of analytics and a lot of uh, important uh, mathematical uh, concepts that go into risk management and uh, probabilistic uh, conceptualism is actually what is employed in, uh, uh, you can say, in, in all uh, significant business operations, certainly in all military operations, we are utilizing probabilistic conceptualism. We are looking at the probabilities, the likelihoods, the expectations, the outcome predictions, and so forth and so on. But we're doing it at a higher level of abstraction. Another word here is higher order reasoning. This is not getting a lot of attention, which is very, very unfortunate. Higher order reasoning ought to be something that we actively consider. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and see if I can get these notes organized. And Okay. So I've got my notes organized here. All right, so what is going on with the problem and what is that that we are trying to do? All right, so what is the problem? The problem is that we do not understand how the human intellect works. All right, we and let's just come right out and say that. Well, we you can say, well, Kevin, you're you're you know we have a lot of understanding about the human intellect, and we've been doing this for a long time, and so forth and so on. And I would say that that we, yes, we've taken some baby steps toward this, but we have a long way to go in terms of our understanding of the human intellect, particularly when. The human is performing a high-stakes operation. When the human is performing a high-stakes operation, all kinds of things are happening, and we are in a high-stress environment. It's kind of like putting the system under stress. Uh, we stress test wings on airplanes. We do this all the time. All right? We will build an airplane. We will build the first test airplane or the first group of airplanes that will be used for testing, ground testing. And one of the things that we do uh, on every single airplane that we have ever, ever built in this country and perhaps even in this world, every single airplane, we take the airplane and we stress test the wing. Okay, very, very important. We stress test the wing. Why don't we do the same thing with our thinking? Can we stress test our thinking? And if we are able to stress test our thinking, can we use that stress test to determine whether or not this particular kind of thinking actually works in a high-stress environment. Okay, what is a high-stress environment? A high-stress environment is one in which uh, we are performing a high-stakes operation. Okay, let's just go with that, right? A high-stakes operation produces, among other things, high stress. It also produces high levels of uncertainty and complexity, and uh, other things as well. If we're doing something that is, that is seriously consequential, which a lot of the operations that I was involved in was, okay, then we are dealing with very, very high-stress environment and a high stakes. In other words, Mission success was pretty important. If, in fact, mission success could not be achieved 
all kinds of dire consequences would occur. So it was vital that we achieved mission success. Let's go one step further. Let's let's start off by saying, okay, I will at this moment um, or temporarily accept your premise, Kevin, which is once we accept that we do not know, then what do we do about it? Once we accept the fact that we do not know how to think critically and how to think creatively in a uncertain and complex world, then what do we do about it? Okay, do we just wander around aimlessly and just give up, throw up our hands and say, well, I don't know, we just don't know anything about uh, this or we don't know anything about that and uh, it's just too hard to think about it. Or do we take some positive action uh, with respect to uh, how we go about thinking and how we go about reasoning in this particular world. Okay. Critical thinking, innovation, and creativity. I'm going to combine those things into two words. Okay, just just for uh, convenience. I'm going to say that uh, critical thinking, innovation, and creativity, let's combine those into critical and creative thinking. Okay, now we're doing that just to be, uh, you know, just to, for convenience. Uh, you know, it's a little bit, uh, it, you know, it, it's a little bit of a forced fit, but it's just, uh, we're just doing it uh, for, for convenience for the moment. So, <clears throat> Critical and creative thinking, okay? What is it about that that we need to understand? Now, let's take a look at an um, industry, an environment, uh, a, uh, uh, a situation in which critical and creative thinking was in fact required and on full display. Okay. And there are a number of places we can go. My, uh, and the reason why I'm, I'm moving toward aviation because that's my background and that's what, uh, that's what I'm familiar with. There are other disciplines that could, uh, uh, could, be suitable for this kind of inquiry, but uh, for our purposes here, uh, we're going to use aviation because I'm very familiar with that. This is where I come from. This is the environment and the profession that I come from, uh, and I'm still involved in that, albeit as a uh, author, speaker, and design consultant, uh, no longer actively flying because of age. Uh, but we can look at aviation in general. Okay, we can do that. And in particular, I want to look at naval aviation because that's also an environment and a situation in th- that I came from. I spent a lot of time, a large part of my life in that environment. And in particular, we can look at that and see the impact of critical and creative thinking we can yeah we can all right there is lots and lots of examples that we can pull from now why are we doing this we're doing this because uh because uh i want to move away from you know these the strictly theoretical or the academic pursuits i want to take a look at uh, what what are the 
actual examples of uh, of this, uh, uh, actual examples of critical and creative thinking. Uh, what what do they actually look like? And then we can audit back. We can go and look at these kinds of things, and then we can audit back and say, okay, what were the prerequisites? What were the the uh, what what was the foundation? What was the platform? Uh, that these people were operating from. They were just not out there in some kind of a a nebulous world. They actually were standing on some kind of a platform, some kind of a uh, mechanism, some kind of a conceptual structure. There had to be some kind of structure. It wasn't uh, a completely unstructured world. What, What... uh, what was the structure that they were uh, utilizing? What was the framework? What was the scaffolding? Uh, how did they go about doing this? Okay. And and then we can look at, okay, from that, we can begin to understand what exactly does creati- critical and creative thinking look like? And what does it mean when we say probabilistic conceptualism? Okay. Now, I've said this before, and I know that a lot of people are going to think that I'm probably completely insane, uh, but I don't, actually, I don't really care. All right. Uh, This is the way I think. All right. I think that a great example of conceptualism is embedded within the poem High Flight by Flight Lieutenant John McGee. Okay, It's in my book, by the way. My book begins with the poem High Flight. My book here, The Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, this begins with the poem High Flight. Why do I have it there? Because that poem is a perfect example of conceptualism. A perfect example. There's not one single literal thing that is addressed or mentioned in that poem. Read the poem very, very carefully. And then read it again. And then read it again very, very carefully. And Try to understand the mindset of this aviator. Okay, Uh, Flight Lieutenant John McGee was a Spitfire pilot uh, flying for the British during the Battle of Britain, during World War II. He was a World War II aviator flying the, uh, the British Spitfire. A pretty, pretty impressive fighter aircraft, albeit piston, piston and propeller powered, but pretty impressive fighter aircraft. And he wrote this poem. All right, so that begins our discussion, and that is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why it was maybe missed on some. It should not have been. All right. And then we go, f- we, we take a look at uh, not only aviation, but we take a look at carrier-based naval aviation. And if you look at the long history of carrier-based naval aviation, it is, uh, it is uh, organized in uh, a number of uh, uh, critical points or critical episodes that are uh that are uh that are, that that make up the uh, uh the 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 history of carrier based uh naval aviation uh the the and, and and we can see that you know all of these things that have a, that 
that we have in place right now in order to fly uh, uh, tactical airplanes, high-performance tactical airplanes from the deck of of an aircraft carrier, the ability to do such a thing did not come automatically. It came from a long series of innovative ideas that were implemented. Okay, some of them were trial and error. Some of them were just breakthrough innovative ideas. They were just, uh, you know, uh, monumentally uh, creative and innovative instantly. Uh, I'm going to list just a few of them as we uh, as we explore this whole idea of critical and creative thinking. Uh, the first thing is a resting gear. We had to be able to stop an airplane quickly when it lands on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. So a resting gear had to be uh, had to be developed, had to be created, had to be tested, had to be installed. We have uh, the steam catapult. We have. Uh, and the steam catapult was, in fact, a major uh, improvement. We have the angled deck, okay, <laughs> uh, of, of all the things that, uh, that we can say about carrier-based naval aviation, the angled deck was probably the most important thing uh, to uh, to come out of that particular environment. Now, if you look over my, um, this is my uh, right shoulder, all right? So if you're looking and if you're watching this thing on video, if you're looking over my right shoulder, here is a actually a painting. I'm pointing to it right now. Here is a painting of an aircraft carrier. Okay, you begin to see that there is, in fact, this is an aircraft carrier that employs the angled deck. Okay, that is a painting of an aircraft carrier. The specific aircraft carrier is the USS Coral Sea. Now, the Coral Sea was a midway class carrier. You cannot find the Coral Sea anymore, but you can actually go aboard the sister ship, which is the USS Midway. The Midway was built first, and then, of course, the Coral Sea was built right after that. Uh, and, uh, and they're they're identical, by the way. All right, uh, this is a this is a painting of the USS Coral Sea. You can begin to see that this aircraft carrier does, in fact, employ the angled deck. That was a major innovation and improvement such that uh, carrier aviation was able to stay up with the uh, the developments in uh, uh, <laughs> aerodynamics and air warfare uh, such that high-performance uh, tactical airplanes could be launched and recovered aboard an aircraft carrier. And so the aircraft carrier could remain as a front-line fighting force okay without the angle deck that could not have happened i'm not making this up i mean it sounds like kevin that you're 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 making all this stuff up no actually i'm not okay it was that important now we kind of take it for granted today but it wasn't something during world war ii and during the korean war where we did not have angle deck carriers it wasn't something that was completely known all right there was a lot of people who thought that well the the aircraft carrier's life is is going to end very quickly because 
because the carrier cannot uh, operate uh, modern, high-performance tactical airplanes, and therefore it will soon go away. There's a lot of people who thought that to be true. Okay, <clears throat> without the angle deck, without that innovation uh, of the angle deck, without that creativity that went into the concepts of the angle deck, then carrier aviation would have quickly uh, uh, died away, right? become irrelevant uh, because, uh, because they just could not operate uh, modern, high-performance airplanes at sea. Uh, okay. So, the angle deck, along with the steam catapult, were two uh, innovations that came about, and they proved to be uh, really uh, amazingly successful, wildly successful. It was like, Okay, well, what do we have here? You know, we have a floating uh, man of war, uh, something big and, and floats on the oceans and can travel all over the world. And everything that you look at is, in fact, an innovation, is, in fact, something that came out of the field of creativity and it all fits together and works. Now, along with the angle deck, which was a major breakthrough in ideas of uh, carrier aviation, was, in fact, the optical landing system. All right, so the angle deck, along with the optical landing system, were two major innovations that were uh, uh, conceived of and implemented, designed and implemented by the United States Navy and naval aviation. All right, so that's what it looks like. So we are looking at, you can see it over my right shoulder, okay, we are looking at something that represents innovation and creativity. How did that happen? Where did it come from? Who are these people that were able to do such a thing? That's the key. That's the key to our, our inquiry here is to look at that in terms of, well, first and foremost, let's not take that for granted. All right, this is a major de development in the course of human events, all right? This is a major achievement in the course of human progress and naval warfare, okay? We were able to, uh, to control the oceans. Uh, beginning in the latter stages of World War II up to the present time, this country, the United States of America, was and is able to control the oceans. All right, we have control over the oceans. We have opened up the sea lanes for commerce. The first time in the history of the world this has been achieved. The first time we were able to do such a thing. We have opened up the oceans for commerce. Why were we able to do that? What does it look like? What was that thing that enabled us to open up the oceans for commerce, for free and unstructured uh, trade? What was it? That what is what was it was that thing that you're looking at over my right shoulder that that thing is called an aircraft carrier that's what it looked like that is the that is the image of freedom right there okay uh so we have the angle deck we have the optical landing system we have the the steam catapult all right now the other thing 
that we had to have, uh, which was uh, crucial to our continued ability to achieve mission success. The other thing that we had to have, we had to have high-performing tactical airplanes. Okay, we had to do that. We had to have high-performing tactical airplanes. What, what did they look like? Okay. We are going to get involved in that uh, discussion in terms of what were the uh, what 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 was the 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 the, uh, the critical and creative aspects of the human intellect. Another way of saying that is, what was the critical thinking, and what was the uh, innovation and creativity and what was the complex problem solving that went into the uh, the design development and the employment of high-performance tactical airplanes. Now, when we're saying high-performance tactical airplanes, we're talking about tactical airplanes that could actually fly at very high velocities could achieve very high velocities okay what does that mean the velocities that we are talking about were not limited to the speed of sound so we we're not constrained by the sound barrier we were able to build and operate aircraft that could easily uh, fly faster than the speed of sound. The speed of sound is called, uh, there's a technical word here, the speed of sound is called Mach 1. Uh, the, reason why <laughs> the reason why it has that term is because the person who came up with that idea was named Mach, M-A-C-H. All right, so Mach 1 is, in fact, the speed of sound. The sound travels in the atmosphere at Mach 1. Is that a constant? No, actually it isn't, all right? So the speed of sound varies with temp temperature, okay? That's it, right? Speed of sound varies with temperature of the air, all right? That's it, all right? What is it typically? Well, at a standard day, we can say that the speed of sound is about 600 miles per hour. Okay, now, here we get a little bit confusing because, because uh, aviation utilizes nautical miles or knots and civilian, uh, the civilian world uses statute miles to get miles per hour, but aviation, uh, as, well as, as well as everything, uh, nautically uh, utilizes knots. Okay, so we, we, we actually uh, calculate the speed of airplanes in knots, not in miles per hour. Uh, there is a conversion factor, but it's, uh, you know, I don't, I, it, it, it's kind of confusing, and I don't really spend much time thinking about it. I will tell you that, that if something is going uh, at a speed uh, with knots, miles per hour is a little bit higher, okay, because a knot is a nautical mile, and a nautical mile is 6,000 feet instead of 5,280 feet for a statute mile. And so if we say something is going 550 knots, it's usually about 600 miles per hour and that kind of thing, all right? So so that's that's about it. So the speed of sound is about 600 miles per hour, all right? On a standard day, a standard day has a particular temperature. What is the temperature? Temperature on a standard day is 59 degrees Fahrenheit. All right, so at 59 degrees Fahrenheit, speed of sound on a standard day is also, this a standard day means sea level. It also is, uh, uh, is a, a point in which speed of sound travels about 600 miles per hour or about 550 knots, okay? 
All right, so that's about it. <clears throat> Why did we want to travel faster than the speed of sound? Well, we wanted to travel faster than the speed of sound because we wanted to achieve the highest velocities that were possible because velocity was king. And this was not really understood uh, very well. Okay, <clears throat> the, the, the whole idea behind the pursuit of velocity. This is not very well understood by most people. We just kind of take it for granted. It was not. It was a major human achievement to be able to travel at speeds that exceeded the speed of sound, right? The supersonic realm, all right, that's where this whole idea behind the sonic warrior began. It, it is looking at the supersonic realm. And it's also looking at what is it about the supersonic realm that we need to understand and uh, and learn from the advances and the challenges that existed within the supersonic realm. Now, here we're talking about a uh, basically, as I mentioned in some of my talks recently. Uh, uh, we're talking about a high point in human innovations. Okay, when we are considering going from subsonic to the supersonic realm, what is it about the supersonic dimension that we need to understand? We are talking about uh, the high point in human innovation. How can humans innovate? The first thing that we can say that in order for humans to innovate, they have to first reorder the way they think and the way they approach the world, the way they consider reality. What is it about their view of the world, their view of reality? What is it, what does the critical and creative thinkers, uh, uh, what do they uh, employ? What is their model of reality that they use? All right? Is it the same as everybody else? The answer actually is no. The critical and creative thinkers operate with a completely different set of ideas which represents a completely different model of reality. They, is, is, that, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. All right. So th that is one of the things that we have to uh, consider very, very carefully. We have to consider that uh, that if I am going to be a critical and creative thinker and person, if I'm going to be able to develop uh, innovative and creative ideas and implement them, then I better consider how or, or what is my model of reality, first and foremost, all right? So what occupies my mind space, okay? Do concepts occupy my mind space, or it is, is it just uh, literal data? Is it just literal things, or is my mind space primarily occupied with concepts and that's the key to mission success if in fact 
we can consider things in terms of what is the conceptual construct that represents this particular set of circumstances or this particular uh, occurrence or this particular set of events, what is the conceptual construct that represents the reality that supports this particular set of events that we have encountered? Okay. I often talk about this, and I talk about this in my other book, and we'll get to that on uh, next show. I often talk about... Uh, what is the what is the risk producing properties of this particular set of events if we encounter something along the way we are engaged in a high stakes operation and we encounter something along the way what are the risk producing properties of this set of events a set of events is also called an event set it means that there are multiple multiple events, and my audio engineer is telling me that I have one minute to go. Is that correct? Okay, so we're about at the end of this uh, rather fascinating uh, show that we call Throttle Up Radio, uh, and uh, so uh, let me let me collect my thoughts here as we proceed. Okay, so the next show we'll explore this further. All right, so. Uh, probabilistic conceptualism. We need to know what that is. Okay, if we are going to solve our problems today, that's the kind of thinking cap that we need to put on, which is called probabilistic conceptualism. We are living in an uncertain world, therefore... Certitude is impossible, and we have got to replace that with things that are likely to occur. The probabilities of something is the key. All right, so thanks for listening and watching. Uh, and uh, this is the end of another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast, and we will see you all next week.